You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Well, good evening. Today is the day we call Good Friday. It has been called the darkest day in history because this is the day when the Lord of life was put to death. This is the day when Jesus Christ was executed by the Roman government and the Jewish religious leaders. Uh, And I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to think about that phrase, that term, Good Friday. We as Christians, we commemorate the day when our leader, when our hero was put to death and executed as a criminal. And we call that day Good Friday. Now you might think, We should call it something like Terrible Friday or Black Friday, right? I guess that name's already taken, but we could have had it first. We could have been the first on that one, right? But no, we call it Good Friday. And yet this is the day when the greatest person who ever lived was executed as a criminal. Jesus Christ was executed on Good Friday as a criminal, surrounded by criminals. Why would we call that day Good Friday? And tonight what I'd like to do is open the Bible with you, and hopefully we can find the answer to that question. Would you please bow your heads with me, and let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you, the Lord of life, gave up your life for us. And Lord, please help us to see in the scriptures why this day is called Good Friday, and why it's not just good in general, but why it is good news for us personally, individually, and, and as your people. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew's account of Jesus' crucifixion, we read about it in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, And here's what Matthew tells us happened while Jesus was hanging on the cross that day. It says this in Matthew 27 verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. I'd like to talk to you this evening about that time of darkness And there are three things that I'd like you to see and understand about this time of darkness that happened while Jesus was on the cross. And those three things are the agony, the actions, and the outcomes. So the agony, the actions, and the outcomes. First, let's talk about the agony. During the time that Jesus was on the cross, as we read there in Matthew 27, verse 45, an unusual darkness settled over the land. Now, there are a lot of things we don't know about this darkness and the nature of it, but I'd like to talk to you about what we do know, and there are a couple things. First of all, we know that this darkness lasted for three hours. For three hours. This was not a natural occurrence. You might remember that we had a solar eclipse recently here in Colorado and in, in this part of the United States, but that didn't last for three hours. Eclipses don't last for three hours. So when it says there that the darkness lasted from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, understand that's the Roman way of telling time in which the first hour of day is what we would call 6 a.m. So what that means is that this darkness descended over the land from about 12 noon until 3 p.m. And what that means, it tells us in Mark's gospel that Jesus was on the cross for about six hours. So from the third hour until the ninth hour. For six hours, Jesus hung on the cross. So that's the second thing we know about this darkness, is that it did not last the entire time that Jesus was on the cross. Crucifixion was an extremely 
brutal and torturous form of execution. First, they would strip you naked to humiliate you. And then they would whip you with, with whips that had bone, glass, rocks in it. And this whip had these things woven into it so that when it dug into your skin, they pulled it back. It would just rip the flesh right off you and leave you uh, completely raw. And, and then they would make you carry your own cross, the element of your execution. They would make you carry it through the streets as people mocked you and jeered you. If you had any strength left, they would, they would cause you to walk through the center of the city carrying your own cross. Then when, when you reached the place, they would nail you to this piece of wood. And the way they would do it is that they would put the nails, big nails, I mean, we were thinking like uh, railroad stake type nails through your wrists here, through the bones in your wrists. And then they would put one through your feet. And the whole idea, right, is that the injuries themselves were not what killed you in crucifixion. What killed you is that you would slowly, over the course of many hours, suffocate to death. Because in that position where you're stretched out like this, what happens is that in order to take a breath, right, because as you're hanging there in this position, your airways close. So in order to take a breath, you have to force yourself up using that nail that's through your feet, and you have to force yourself up just to get air. And of course, right, that's our natural reaction. We, we will breathe if we can. And so over time, though, exhaustion sets in so much so that you can't actually get up the strength to, to push yourself up to take a breath. And you suffocate to death. And it was not uncommon for people to hang on a cross for several hours as they just suffered and slowly died. See, crucifixion was not an efficient way to kill people. And it wasn't meant to be efficient. It was meant to be torturous. The whole point was to make people suffer as long as possible until they finally died. And so Jesus hung on the cross for six hours total. And it was during the latter half of that six hours that this darkness descended upon the land. The, the third thing we know about this darkness is that during this time, Jesus was silent. So we know that there are seven things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. Three of them took place before this darkness descended, and four of them took place right before he died. But for the three hours that the darkness covered the land, Jesus said nothing. He was silent. Now, I just want you to think about that. I want you to think what that feels like. Three hours of suffering and silence in the dark. And after three hours of suffering in silence, in the dark, Jesus finally speaks out. And what does he say? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a cry of agony. It's a cry of agony. It's a cry of isolation. It's a cry of, of a question, right? It's, this is the first time in all of eternity that Jesus, the Son, has been cut off from God the Father. And we aren't told exactly what was going on in Jesus' heart and his mind as he spoke these words. But I'm sure that all of us have been in a similar place at some point in our lives, right? These, these words are words that we speak. These are words that we feel. We ask the question, God, God, where are you right now? God, why? Why are you letting this happen to me? 
See, while nothing can compare to the agony that Jesus experienced on the cross, still all of us experience times of darkness, moments of pain, time when we feel alone, and we might even feel as if God has turned his back on us, as if he has abandoned us, as if our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and, and coming back at us. See, during these three hours of darkness, they were a time characterized by silence, by isolation, and by this question of God, where are you? God, why? And, and I wonder if there are some of you even now who would be feeling that way in, in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis that we're in right now. Maybe you have lost your job. Maybe you're feeling isolated. Maybe you're feeling alone. Maybe you're overwhelmed by a sense of doom and dread. Maybe you have that, that feeling of anxiety that rises in you and makes you feel like you're suffocating and drowning. Maybe you're struggling with the questions of, God, where are you right now? Why, God? Why this? Why me? Why now? Maybe you even sometimes silently wonder if God hasn't abandoned you and turned his back on you. And maybe you find yourself thinking, God, if you really love me, then why are you letting this happen to me? But here's what you need to know about Good Friday. The thing that makes Good Friday good is that in the midst of this darkness, there was not only agony, but there were actions. There were the actions of God. And so that's our second point here. The second thing to know about this darkness, there was the agony, but there were also the actions. Where was God in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of the agony, in the midst of the isolation? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 tells us exactly where God was in the midst of this darkness. And here's what it says. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Where was God as Jesus hung on the cross? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself in the midst of the silence, in the midst of the isolation. God was there and God was working to accomplish his greatest work, reconciling a broken and sinful world to himself, redeeming us by paying the price for our sins himself in Christ. Friends, here, here's what I want you to know. With God, Silence does not mean absence. With God, silence does not mean absence. And sometimes when God seems most distant, those are the times when God is doing his most profound work. As you face dark times in your life, I want you to know this. God has done and still does some of his greatest work in the dark. As Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't believe that it was because Jesus was confused about what was happening to him. I believe he knew exactly what was happening to him and he knew why. You see, these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can find them in another place in the Bible. They come from Psalm 22, verse 1. They're the opening of that psalm. In fact, Psalm 22, if you read it, what you'll see is that Psalm 22 is one of many prophecies in the Old Testament which prophesies the suffering or foretells the suffering of the Messiah. And so as Jesus spoke these words, he was communicating something to everyone who was listening. He was communicating to those who were recording this event, making mental notes who would later write it down, that his suffering there on the cross was the suffering of the Messiah, the suffering of the promised Savior who was foretold in the prophecies. His suffering was the suffering of the one who would bring an end to all suffering forever one day. 
As he was being forsaken by God, the, the purpose of God forsaking him was so that God could embrace you. It was so that God could embrace us and bring us into his family so that we could know him as father and he could call us his children. In him, God was reconciling the world to himself. And the greatest and clearest prophecy about this suffering of the Messiah is found in the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53. And so I'd like to, to go through that with you for a moment now. Here's what it says, starting in verse 3. Again, remember, this was written over 500 years before Jesus was born. And it was foretelling who the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be and what he would do in his life. And here's what it says, Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. As Jesus was beaten, as he was whipped, as he was nailed to the cross, as he hung on the cross, there was something happening that couldn't be seen with physical eyes. There was something happening in the spiritual realm. God was placing all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of the judgment for your sins and mine upon him, upon Jesus. Everything that is broken in the world and all of the blame that, that is given for what is broken in the world, he took it upon himself. He was smitten by God in our place. It goes on in verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. You know, Jesus had lived a life of obedience to God in every way. Even Pontius Pilate, you remember the Roman governor of the province of Palestine at the time, that's what the Romans called it, was Palestine. He looked over Jesus, he took him, examined him to find out if there was anything they could accuse him of, and he said in his own words, I find no fault in this man. Jesus was not crucified for his own sins. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Why? So that we could have peace with God, so that, so that we could be healed from our greatest sickness, from the brokenness that is inside of us, from the brokenness that is at the root of everything that is not right in us. You see, friends, it's not just that we live in a world that is broken. It's not just that we live in a world where there is evil. The problem is much deeper than that. The problem is that this evil is bound up in our, our very hearts. The problem is that this wickedness is inside of us. And Jesus came to suffer and die in our place so that we might be healed, that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled to God and enter into relationship with him. He goes on, Isaiah does in, in verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep that before its shears are silent, so he opened not his mouth. We were the sheep that went astray. And he became one of us so that he could become the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat, the atoning sacrifice for our sins to make us right with God. On the cross, Jesus was treated as we deserved 
so that because of what he did, we could be treated by God as only he deserves. Because of what he did, we can be forgiven. We can be welcomed into relationship with God. We can be treated as righteous, as sons and daughters. And when this life is over, we have a dwelling place in heaven prepared for us for eternity. He goes on in verse 8, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. After Jesus died, he was placed in a tomb in the grave of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was a wealthy man from that area. He had kind of prepaid or pre-purchased his own gravesite, and he gave that, donated that for Jesus to be buried there. And he says in verse 10, Isaiah does, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It mentions that he will have offspring. That's interesting because we know that Jesus never had any children. But what's referring to here are spiritual offspring, those who would be born again to new life, who would become children of God because of what Jesus did, because his soul was given as an offering for guilt, as a guilt sacrifice for our sin. And the chapter, Isaiah 53, it ends with these words, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. In the darkness, in the silence, in the isolation, where was God? God was present. God was working for your good because he loves you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to become sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's the agony. There was the actions. But let's talk about the outcomes. As this darkness ended around three in the afternoon, immediately the evidence of the outcome of God's actions became clear. Jesus spoke from the cross. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then he breathed his last, and as he did, he declared, it is finished. And we read there in Matthew 27 that at this moment, the veil in the temple which was a barrier, it was a wall of sorts, a very thick curtain which separated the people from the holy place where God's presence was located. It was torn in two from top to bottom. That was an act of God. It was a very symbolic act. It meant that because of what Jesus had just finished and accomplished and done on the cross, now every barrier that stood between us and God had been removed. It meant that God had made a way through Jesus for us to come and know him, and not just know about him, but to know him personally in relationship. And here's what we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, that because of what Jesus did, we can become new creations. We can be new people with a new nature. The old, who we were in sin and brokenness, has passed away in Christ's death, and in him, new life has come. But there's one more outcome that it tells us there of what God did. 
through Jesus' death on the cross. And we're told about that in 2 Corinthians 5 uh, also as well. It says this, Not only was God reconciling us to himself in Christ, but now as new creations, he has also given us a new identity and also with that a new mission. A new mission. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 that we have been given the mission of reconciliation. Just as we've now been reconciled to God in Christ, we are now given this mission of reconciliation of calling other people to be reconciled with God in Jesus as well. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal uh, to the world through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, the reason Good Friday is good is because in Jesus' agony, God was performing his greatest work and meeting our greatest need. And because of what Jesus did on Good Friday, you and I can have hope in the dark. We can have hope in the dark moments of our lives as well because Jesus entered into darkness for us to bring about light and life. But in order to have this hope, in order for it to be your hope, not just an abstract hope, but for it to be your hope, In order for everything that Jesus did to matter for you and make sense in your life and be yours, what is required is that you receive that gift that he did, that he accomplished for you, that he prepared for you. And the way that you receive that gift is by faith, which means this. It means trusting in and clinging to and relying on what Jesus did for you. And that requires admitting the fact that you cannot save yourself. You cannot do it yourself. You cannot make yourself right with God. And you have a desperate need for the salvation that he came to provide. If that's you, if you receive God's gift to you by faith, then you can truly understand why we call this day Good Friday. You know, the night before Jesus was crucified, he shared a meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he instituted a practice in which he told them that he wanted them, and and not only them, but all of his followers after them, to follow this practice in remembrance of him and of his death on the cross. He took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he gave it to them, and he said, Take, drink, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And so right now, in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross, we're going to take communion together. So the elements that you've prepared at home, I encourage you to take those in your hands. Let's pray together. And as we pray, we'll take the elements. First, we'll take this bread. And please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we hold this in our hands, this tangible element that we can feel, that we can taste, Lord, you said, this is my body broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Lord, just as, Lord, this bread was broken, we remember your body broken for us. Lord, remember that as your body was broken, Lord, we now get to be called your body as those who have been redeemed, as your people. And so, Lord, we thank you for this fact. We remember what you did for us, Jesus, on the cross. We keep it at the forefront of our minds, that in your body you bore the burden for our sins. You were broken. You were afflicted, Lord, with the judgment we deserved so that we could be forgiven. Lord, just as you have forgiven us in Christ, Lord, may we also forgive those who sin against us. And so, Lord, as we take this bread together, this your body as your body, Lord, help us 
that we would truly forgive those who sin against us and receive with faith the forgiveness that you give us because of what you did on the cross. And Lord, we take this cup. You said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. Lord, thank you for this new covenant that we have with you, not based on anything that we do or don't do, but based on what Jesus did and accomplished for us. Lord, your word says in the Old Testament that life is in the blood. And so we remember as we hold this cup, Lord, that your life, Jesus, was poured out for us, Lord, so that we might receive new life in you. And so Lord, we take this in remembrance of the new covenant and remembrance of the fact that in you, Jesus, we can become new creations. We receive that truth, that grace by faith. And Lord, we take this cup, and as we do, we ask that you would help us to walk in this new life that you've given us by the power of your spirit. Lord, as we go from this moment right now, Lord, may this always stay at the forefront of our minds. May we remember that this is the keystone of our faith, what you did, Jesus, on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for the new life that you give us. Help us to walk in it. And Jesus, as we remember your death, we remember that Sunday is coming, that you did not stay in the grave, and we, we look forward to that with hope. Lord, we pray, help us, Lord, that we would be set free from every besetting sin. Lord, set us free by the power of your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.